Space Exchange. What was it like growing up in Memphis? As you know, my parents are from there. They brag about it all the time. But give us and give people who've never been to Memphis a rundown. So, you know, I feel like most people know Memphis or have heard of Memphis through Graceland. So that's Elvis Presley's, you know, home and a really historical, magical place. Uh, Memphis is also known, unfortunately known, um, as the place where Martin Luther King um, actually ended his life. And so we have the National Civil Rights Museum here that's... um, a really, really popular place. But when you think about the home of the blues, when you think about the home of just Southern hospitality, Memphis is a, you know, a pretty, pretty special place. You know, one of the things that I would remember as a child was this very, very famous community called Orange Mound. I didn't even realize until I was much older that Memphis and the Orange Mound community in particular was the first place in America where African-Americans could actually own property and own land. So when you think about just the richness and the the heritage that we have, it was a hub. Um, A lot of mixtures of people from Mississippi's and the Arkansas's and the Louisiana's. It's just an all around wonderful Southern place where it's a big, small town and everybody knows everybody through two degrees of separation. And so it's a really, really magical place. You hit on something when you talked about the just the hospitality, the warmth. Like I remember just walking to go get a haircut and I passed by probably about 10 to 15 people and they each said good morning. I think that speaks to the love that's there uh, for people that don't even know each other. One thing that we want to, to ask you to get us started is, in a minute or less, who is Rashana Morgan? Rashana Morgan is a proud Memphian um, who grew up in a single parent home and ch- education has truly changed and formed my life and provided me a number of opportunities. Rashana Morgan was blessed enough to be able to go to New York City to be able to change her life through finance. She survived the financial crisis of 2008. I was blessed and fortunate enough to go overseas, um, and I moved to Hong Kong at the age of 24. Um, Rashana Morgan then came back and then decided to totally change her life and pursue the public sector. Now Rashana Morgan is trying to change the world through government and help bring other people along to do it as well. I love that. But I do want to kind of help people understand how we got to this intersection of us knowing you because we had only been in Bangladesh for about two or three months mm-hmm. and you showed up as a baller. <laughs> of the nicest restaurants in the city and then you like treated us to dinner we were just astounded and to know that you were doing that us working in government and you working in a huge private sector company we were just like oh my god did you know we could do that did you know this was possible so how did you end up in dhaka bangladesh um so as you mentioned i did work for um pretty large institution jp morgan um which is an investment bank or a big bank uh that's in new york city i was fortunate enough to stumble upon that career through um, a scholarship opportunity, actually. So they had a program that was that specifically focused on exposing uh, people of color to finance. I did a scholarship application and that turned into an internship. I was never interested in finance, nothing about it. But I said, okay, I'll just try it out. Started my career in J.P. Morgan in New York. 
had a wonderful time, actually had the opportunity to go overseas to do like a six-month rotation. Asia was a place that I'd never been before and knew nothing about it um, besides the Chinese food, you know, that I would eat, you know, on the weekends. I moved to Hong Kong in 2011. I was blessed enough to have um, the opportunity to travel with the role. And so I was a market manager uh, for Southeast Asia, helping the bank develop relationships with those countries so that we as a bank go in and actually invest there. You know, it's really by the grace of God because I literally just use my, you know, kind of Southern charm to kind of build relationships. That's how I landed in DACA. You know, once you go to FAMU, it's a family, you know, so if you hear about people who may, you know, who are in the midst anywhere, you have to get together. So when I heard you all were out there, I was like, of course, I got to pick up my FAMU people and meet them and love on them and make sure they okay. And, you know, we all are here together. So that I happened to be in DACA, Bangladesh of all places to meet you all. And I'm just so happy and proud to have crossed your pathway. That's such a wonderful experience. I remember we were so happy that somebody we knew somebody that looked like us visited us in Bangladesh, but was also there for work. It was one of the highlights of our time in Bangladesh. And so it was great to just reflect on that for a little bit. You talked about a scholarship for people of color wanting to go into finance and Mm -hmm. having some type of global element. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I'm not sure if JP Morgan has the program today, but there are a number of opportunities uh, for students of color to be introduced to finance. I'm an alumni of a group called Sponsors for Educational Opportunities. And so that is a feeder program into finance internships. And so I actually started that when I was at FAMU. They put you through this rigorous amount of training, professional development training, you know, resumes and networking. The SEO program really opened the door for Wall Street. And so even within some of the turmoil of the 2008 kind of crisis, being in that program helps kind of solidify the fact that I would have a job. And talk a little bit about the finance piece. Why is it so important for people of color to really maximize on opportunities in the financial space? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, I will be honest with y'all. I was a marketing major. You know, I tend to be very bubbly. Um, You know, I love to interact with people. I just love people. Um, So never would have ever thought that finance would be something that I would you know, like finance, however, is the cornerstone of really kind of any industry. If you don't have no money, you really can't do much. You know, for me, I really wanted to understand, you know, how are these decisions made? Like who tells people yes or no when I go to the bank? You know, I want to know who makes so and how does that whole kind of process work? And so through the internship programs that I mentioned, I was exposed to many different sides of finance. There's so many realms that you don't feel like you have to be pigeonholed into, I'm going to be a number cruncher. I'm going to be, you know, sitting in a desk and working in spreadsheets all day. Yes, that is a major aspect of it. And there is a lot of uh, analytical you know, skills that I picked up while I was in finance. But I ended up being in a relationship management role where I just literally talked to people about um, rules and different regulations um, that centered around just financial investments, you know, globally and worldwide. We in America have the opportunity because we have such big global banks. You know, if you are in a big bank that has a global presence, it's a lot easier for you to be able to have an international experience because then you can use your career to be able to do that. And so that's essentially what I did. I've always loved to travel. And and so when I had that opportunity to go abroad, I'm like, of course, I was single. I raised my hand. And so that career made it that much easier for me to go abroad. And you have a safety net. 
you're going with the company, you know? So a lot of the barriers to going abroad, such as how I'll pay for this and, you know, where am I going to live? Or, you know, all of those maybe risks or barriers to going abroad, I had the company there to help support and supplement me so I wasn't alone. Don't feel like you have to go out and figure it all out on your own. It'll do a massive Google search and now you just got to figure it out. If you can try to go through your company that has some type of international office or even just trying to get on an international project, you know, just start there and just to, you know, expose yourself to, you know, these international groups and international teams. You just never know how those opportunities could even ultimately one day help you go overseas um, to work you know, permanently or even for a short term stint. So don't count finance out. Um, always use it. You can always, the, the skills that you learn in finance uh, are ones you can always keep forever. The ones that I use in my job now, because you always need to know how the, the dollars and cents make sense. And so if you were not a numbers cruncher, if you weren't somebody out here running spreadsheets, what was your life like every day? How would you conduct business while at J.P. Morgan? And it's a two-part question. How did SBI and the culture and the curriculum prepare you for what you were doing every day? So before you even enroll at SBI, you know, you had to have, you know, your blue and your black suits. You had to have those ready. You know, SBI taught you how to navigate a process. I remember our freshman year, the professional development, you know, they would say you had to go across campus and fill out this form. And it was almost like an exercise of just learning how to navigate a process. And at the time, I'm like, this is stupid. I'm just going to call my mama. But the professor was like, no. Y'all need to go and you need to complete this assignment on your own and figure it out. The professors, you know, requiring us whenever we would have these forums and forums, meaning uh, we have outside guests from different companies come and uh, visit SBI. And so we had to have five prepared questions, research questions to be able to ask the, the guests whenever they would come. And so when we would have these guests and these presenters, they have a presentation and then everybody's hand would shoot up at the end with questions. I'm learning how to get up in front of an auditorium of 100 students and ask a question and have it, you know, and actually being confident in saying, hi, my name is Rashana Morgan. I am a third year business major from Memphis, Tennessee. And my question is, and just that polish of being prepared is something that while I was in school, I'm like, this is just too much. This is so extra. But all of those things helped to prepare me to do my job at J.P. Morgan because it brought a level of confidence, one, in myself. Um, it helped prepare me analytically to be able to know that when you're out in the world, you need to be prepared. So you need to research, you know, who are you meeting? Who are you interacting with? Um, and it also, most importantly, taught me the power of networking or building relationships with folks, getting to know people. We had to, at SBI, we took a, a business sport. So I took golf. I actually had to do that. I had to use golf at one point in my career. In the day-to-day life of J.P. Morgan, I was talking to people on the phone, building relationships, trying to solve problems, knowing how to think ahead and saying, okay, I may not know anything about you know, Asia, but let me figure out what I can. Know. Let me actually go and find that person that I met at that seminar because they knew somebody and I remember them telling me that. So let me call them now. So just that power of like using the networks to get the information that you need, I would not have been able to excel and flourish in J.P. Morgan had I not had those experiences. I'm so happy you talked about confidence because that's the main thing I tell high school students when they're always asking, 
what can I get from an HBCU? You'll leave with a ridiculous amount of confidence. You'll leave, you'll graduate just thinking that you can do anything. Anything. <laughs> right. Speaking of confidence, what was it like being a black woman working in business overseas, specifically in Hong Kong? That's a great question. And one that I would often receive. I guess just to give the context. So in New York, in, in finance in New York at that time there weren't many people of color. So being the minority wasn't a new thing for me in finance. I had that experience already. In using my networking skills, I actually found another, uh, an African-American gentleman that was there before me. And so I called him and I said, hey, brother, let me know how it is. Or like, how they treat me over there? Like, give me the like, let, let me know. But one of the things that he told me, he said, you know, I'm loving it out here. I'm having a great time. You may find some initial challenges, maybe breaking the ice because you're new and they may not have ever met anyone like you. But once you take the initiative to show who you are and you're friendly, then you'll have a wonderful time. And I say, oh, I got that. I can do that all day. No problem. So that's the, the lens that I kind of approach the situation with when I touched down in Hong Kong. And so my experience as the only Black person, only Black woman in J.P. Morgan in the region. So not only Hong Kong, but in Asia. Because if there was somebody else Black in the company, I would have known them, right? Like I would have met them. I would have found them. I made it a point to make sure that people knew who I was first. And so I did a lot of coffee chats. I took a lot of initiative to make the first step. So instead of going in and saying, well, I'm the new person. I'm just going to sit on my corner. I was like, hey, I'm going to meet this whole floor. I'm meeting everybody. Hey, I'm the girl from New York. I'm here for a six-month assignment. And so it took that initiative to kind of break that ice. And people said, oh, okay, she's just like a bubbly, perk people, you know, woman. And I'll say that as a Black person working in finance in Asia, what's different about working in America versus working overseas, it was the first time that I felt like I was just looked at based upon just being an American. There wasn't a lens of being a Black American or having this undertone of, well, you're the Black woman. No, you're just the American girl. And so that was truly my experience. And I would always kind of point myself to say, like, I felt more comfortable in my skin there as a Black woman versus how I even felt in New York City. I didn't have some of the same issues or maybe some of the same challenges that sometimes we face here in America. And that was extremely empowering. It was extremely enlightening. I loved it. I loved my experience. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> so I love that we're talking about Hong Kong. Hong Kong was my first long-term overseas experience. So clean, so developed. I loved the outdoor markets. Mm -hmm. um, what, what was your most memorable experience from Hong Kong? So before I went to Hong Kong, I had no clue what to expect whatsoever. But if you can imagine... A mix between Miami, New York City, and maybe like Denver, Colorado. All in one place with so many different types of people, not just they have a very, obviously a very large Cantonese local population. I met people from Australia, Canada, the UK, India. I mean, I had so many friends from so many other places, even outside of Asia. It was it was a, a truly magical place. And so I, I mentioned those other cities because Hong Kong, um, in terms of its diversity, 
It's very much like the New York of Asia. So it's a melting pot. I got every type of cuisine. People say, did, you all, did all you eat? You know, it was like Chinese food. And I'm like, no, I just had Mexican food the other day. I just had some soul food. The soul food restaurant just opened up. You know, in time, I remember one of my friends said, do they have malls out there? I'm like, girl, they have the luxury stores on every other corner. You know, they have mountains. We went on hikes. They have beaches. You know, so I would go to the beach on the weekends. We would do these like yacht trips on the weekends. But then you also had this bustling, thriving city. You know, so it was like this concrete city with lush mountains and a beach nearby. And, you know, it was just, it was such a such an amazing place. And one of my favorite memories in living in Hong Kong was when myself and a number of other, um, I call them expats or folks who are from America or from other places that live in another place, a number of other Black expats and, and myself, we started and we created the first International Black History Month in Hong Kong. We did that because of the fact that at that time, America was going through a lot of issues. And that was when the Trayvon Martin case had happened. And so as we were there, as Americans, you know, you're almost like the representative. And so a number of our friends would say, well, what's going on in America? You know, like, we don't understand, like, we don't get it. And so we decided as Black Americans and other Black folks, Black Canadians, Black British people, we said, let's start to create our own narrative. Let's put on a showcase of events that just introduces Black culture to our neighbors. And so we created a series of events kind of highlighting of Black culture. So we had a Caribbean night. We had a gospel showcase at my church at the time. We had a Soul Food Sunday. We had a, a Harlem night. Uh, well, not Harlem nights. It was a Apollo night. And we had a movie a screening where we talked about um, this amazing, doc- we showcased this amazing documentary of a Black lady who actually had Chinese ancestry. And so she, we flew her over to talk about this documentary. Her Chinese family came to the screening. She met them for the first time. Looking back on it now, I'm like, this was such a monumental thing. We actually had sponsorship from the U.S. consulate. And so... It was the most memorable time because I truly felt like, you know, I, this is me. I'm a proud Black American living abroad and I'm showing you all our culture so you can appreciate our culture. And I can tell you who we are instead of you figuring it out on TV or, you know, what you see on the NBA or in movies. Like, actually ask me about these things. So, and Hong Kong was open enough to be able to welcome us in that way, which is also important. So I, I, it was one of my most memorable times. And they're still actually doing, I think, the Poetry Night, even to this day. They still do that every year. So, yeah. That's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I think it's so important for us to tell our story uh, so that people around the world know. They know so much about us, but they don't know the full story. You yep. touched on two things, though, that I have to just kind of pivot to just real quick. Mm-hmm. So whenever I'm away from home, and home for me is Orlando, Florida, when I moved to D.C., there was two questions that my mom had on a, on, on a, on a weekend. She said, what are you eating and who, whose church are you in? Right. And so you said two things that were important. You said one, there was soul food. And then two, you was in somebody's church Mm -hmm. in Hong Kong. Touch on both of those, the soul food and the church experience. Yes, 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 yes. So what was the name of that place? Oh, y'all, I have to find the name of it, but, um, it was a soul food restaurant. They had literally opened maybe like a year after we'd been there. 
and they had collard greens, they had yams, they had catfish, they had ribs, and it was good. Wait, like, wait, wait, I, I, wait, wait. Collard greens, catfish, yes. and ribs in Hong Kong? Yes. Who was in the kitchen? So that's the thing. Like, I would say just like the, the Asian culture in, in general, they are very, very good at, I think, like learning, like they will learn something. So I guess the, the recipes, they found some recipes or something. Uh, they talked to somebody. Um, and, I, and I do believe, I think the people that opened it, I think they were American. So I think that obviously the American influence and like that. And so it was good. I remember we we actually had them cater a number of our events, like one of our junk trips. So it was an amazing experience. And the food was good. It wasn't like, oh, it's okay. Like it was good. And so the church experience was actually really, really, really special. So like you, I moved around a lot, moved to New York, moved around. And my mother always would say, you could be in somebody's church home. I, interestingly enough, the first day of my internship, my boss, says, you should come to a Good Friday service at my church. And I'm looking at her like, did you just talk about Jesus at work? <laughs> that was the first thing. I'm like, okay, because that wasn't, you know, common. Sure, I'll go. So I go to Good Friday service and met this amazing African-American couple who actually worked at the U.S. consulate. So shout out to Hugh Marie Williams. They were the, the diplomats there. Their daughter actually went to FAMU, Tiffany Williams. And so small world, met them in Hong Kong. And so I immediately joined the church because they were there and we got involved in Bible study. We were on the praise and worship team. And was it different? Yes. But the one thing that I will say to anyone going abroad, you can either be in a space where you conform or if you have the bandwidth and people are open to it, you make it to what you want. And so when I joined the praise and worship team in the Bible study classes, I would say, hey, can we do this song? Hey, can we do that song? Sure. Okay. No problem. I would be, we'd be up there doing our little praise and worship songs. And you just, you never know like how God will use you because so many people will come up to me like, wow, like I've never seen a song sung like that. Or you guys just use so much emotion, you know, because, you know, we really express them. It was, it was, so, and I still talk to so many people, even from that, from that church, Union Church, um, Union Church, Hong Kong, and even just the Bible study that I had there, a small group of women, uh, Chinese women, um, Cantonese women, who I still have, still in touch with today, threw parties for me, they threw a going away party for me, we would do holidays together. To me, I really felt like God had pushed me to Hong Kong to find him. It was a very, very powerful way because they're in Asia, because Christianity is not something that's just inbred in their culture like it is in America. Like people just, we go to church, we go to church on Sunday, so it's a tradition in America. There, you have to choose Christ. And so to find people who were so on fire and had a zeal and they really lived the Christian ethos. I mean, like I said, people at work talking about Jesus, having Bible studies at, at church, at work. You know, so to me, that was such an uplifting and empowering. And honestly, it made me become that much stronger in my faith going there. So I could go on and on. But yes, that's my church experience. <laughs> my God, I love it. I love it. Because, you know, I'm to tell somebody, hey, let's sing this song. They're like, you don't have to come back to any more rehearsals. I was like, oh, all right, we're not open like that. Anyway, I have to touch on the fact that you ran into some folks from the U.S. consulate. Like, that's incredible to me because... 
how would I have felt running into someone like you in any place I've ever been who was also living there while I was? I need to know, what were these Black expats, these Black Canadians, these Black Caribbean folks, what kind of work were they doing? And Mm -hmm. outside of what they did, what are opportunities, business Mm -hmm. opportunities or just opportunities in general available to people of color? The people that I met there were people of color abroad, Black people um, in particular. There was a large amount of uh, focus in the education space. Well, actually, before we get to the education space, the military. So we talked about the consulate. So a lot of folks would ask, well, are you with the military? A lot of international schools would hire American teachers to come and teach their students. A lot of legal folks. I met a young lady. She was from the Cayman Islands, was working for a law firm. Uh, they were but they were helping investors open up their investment funds that were based in the Cayman Islands. And so, yeah, so those were pretty much the, the main ways. Um, I would also say we met a lot of students as well, a lot of students who were there studying abroad to get that kind of initial experience as a young person. Um, so I would definitely recommend folks think about those avenues as well. Um, I do want to shift gears just a little bit and mm-hmm. talk about what are you up to now? I mean, You've had such a wonderful uh, time and you've had great experiences since you left Hong Kong. Obviously, you've been to Harvard. Now you're in Memphis now. Uh, Touch on what you're doing now, but then maybe even talk about how those experiences working overseas has helped you in your current work now. Um, As I mentioned, um, I was in, in Hong Kong. I had a lot of exposure to government bodies. I got to see firsthand the power of government. You know, if you are not able to build strong relationships with the governments in mo- in any place, it's really hard to make progress in that place. And so I was like, hmm, if this little black girl from Memphis can come in here and get these people to kind of see how I think and believe what I believe and come around on some of these like hard issues, I wonder what I could do in my own country. Like, I'm really curious to see what that could look like. I literally kind of just, I took a leap of faith and I left J.P. Morgan to pursue my master's of public administration, which is you know, your graduate degree in um, kind of just public sector. Um, and I took that route because I always wanted, I've always wanted to make a difference. I've always loved to serve. I've always wanted to help people and to see, you know, governments run, as you mentioned, Kendall in Hong Kong, to see it work, you know, it was so efficient and it was so clean and People were taken care of and it wasn't confusing and it wasn't stressful. I'm like, this is great. I was excited. I'm like, I can't wait to go back and do this in America. Let's do it. Let's start. When I was blessed enough um, to attend Harvard Kennedy School, uh, which is the public policy school of Harvard University. I never, ever would have applied to Harvard until I actually heard someone who had studied there. I met them in Hong Kong and they said, you can do it too. And I said, okay. So I'm telling you now. If you feel like you can do it, you should do it. And so um, while I was in, uh, in, in Harvard, I really uh, became interested in public policy, pu- um, urban policy, and really trying to understand like how cities and how communities come to be. And so that kind of comes full circle to what I'm doing now. Um, so after I graduated from there, I moved back to Memphis, my hometown. I'd been away at, at this point, probably like 15 years. And so I saw... Memphis change. I saw the communities change. I saw a lot of shifts in the communities of color who have been really impacted uh, by the 2008 financial crisis. And it just really hit them from an economic standpoint. People had 
lost their jobs, uh, companies had closed, houses were lost. And you just saw this huge shift in just the over, just the well-being of just Black communities in Memphis. And so I was like, I got to go back home. I got to be a part of the solution. I got to see what I can do to make it. I started off um, in a nonprofit working with uh, workforce development, which was my first role in like a kind of direct service opportunity with youth. And saw firsthand just the struggles that people go through every day who um, may not have the resources and the, the social supports and financial supports that so many of us are blessed with. Um, and it was really jarring. And so I said, instead of me being frustrated with the systems, I want to help change the system. So that's when I was led to and I was blessed to be in the role that I'm in, I'm in now, which is um, in the Division of Community Services for our county's government. And so what does that mean? Most of the time when people are calling on the government to help with their utilities or rent, or I'm a veteran, I'm looking for services, it's like all these kind of like social needs, when people call on the government, they go to our division to help them find resources. And so I'm now the deputy division director for that in Shelby County in, in Memphis. And so we have, we serve all of Shelby County's residents. We have a budget of about $70 million that we help to parse through different organizations that meet those needs. I love it. I absolutely adore my job now because I'm able to uh, help people get the resources that they need. It's a unique seat because when you think about government, you always think about, you know, it's hard to get in or you can't make the decisions, you know, in, in the government. And it's actually, it's actually a myth. You know, there's a lot of positions within your government where you really are at the table making decisions on how people are being served. I do want you to talk a little bit about what you see as civic responsibility, um, because I know that we all think about voting at the big elections. But yep. now that you're working at the state and local level, can you talk a little bit about how people can be involved, but how can they contribute? You know, the, the person that is running your local city is probably just as important, if not more important, than even like the you know president of the United States. So the first step is just voting, just being able to know who is running where you live, like who makes the decisions around schools and who makes the decisions around the different laws that can either keep people in or out of jail. So after you vote, be a part of the discussion around what do you want to see. You know, a lot of people think, you know, I I just I don't want to be a politician. I don't want to run for office. That's not the only way that you can work in the government. You know, governments need people in accounting. They need people in information technology. They need people in human resources. I'm actually launching my own platform called BeAPublicServant.com. And so I'm really trying to demystify, you know, the, the ways that you can navigate and find a career within the government. And what does it truly mean to be a public servant? We need folks who are willing to be there and have a seat at the table because if you're not at the table you, know, you may be on the table <laughs>